I just read a verse tonight in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read a little section here, but uh, I'm just really focusing on on one one verse or one phrase, as you would say. Um, so we'll read Philippians chapter 2, um, and we'll read at verse 5. Philippians 2 and verse 5. Philippians 2 and verse 5, this is what it says. It says, Let not... Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, or who was equal with God, he was God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And he took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And this is what here I'd like to preach on, this verse here, Philippians 2 and verse 8. And being found in fashion... As a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross. I'd just like to speak on on, uh, those five words tonight. Even the death of the cross. I was kind of joking with Matt. I said to him before the meeting, I said, I'm going to speak about the cross tonight. And he said, don't we do that every night? And we do. But tonight, I just want to speak on these words here as you see them, even the death of the cross, uh, and just for a little while here in opening. uh, And I've I've chosen some words that have the same beginning letter. And so tonight, I'm just going to go through this. I want to talk about the vocabulary, or the vocab, or the words that were used at the cross. I'd also like to speak on the victory of the cross. And I like to speak on the fact that what was done at the cross was done voluntarily. It was done willingly. And finally, I like to speak about the value of the cross. The cross is unique. Uh, I have a good friend of mine, uh, a preacher, and I remember him saying this once. He said he was informed by a jeweler once that there was a woman who went to a jewelry store, and she was shown a number of crosses that she could buy. And the jeweler said to her, he said, he said, do you want one with the little man on it or without the little man on it? It shows you. Sometimes people even don't even know anymore what happened at the cross. Sometimes people think about the cross as a symbol on churches, as something people hang around their neck. People put it on a bumper sticker. It could be any number of things. And yet the significance of it, I'd like to tell you about tonight, uh, because I would say this to you, that this cross and the man who hung on it, if that had never taken place, there'd be no chance for meaning to exist in life. There'd be no point to life without the cross. Without the death of this man, there'd be no reason. Uh, there'd be no reason, really, that my life would have any meaning, and there'd be no chance that I would be in heaven when I consider the cross. And so that's what I just want to talk about tonight. These things. When I think about the vocabulary of the cross, um, if you don't know this, the Lord Jesus Christ, He spoke a number of sayings. When he was on the cross, he said about seven different sayings. And we go through them a lot. Uh, And we talk about the different things that he said when he was dying. And each one of them is unique. He spoke words to his family. uh, And he spoke words to a criminal next to him. And we all remember the first words that he said when the cross was lifted up. He talked about forgiveness. But uh, I would say significantly, his, his almost next to last words on the cross... He said these words, and if you don't remember anything about the vocab of the cross, remember this. He said the word finished on the cross. 
I don't have to explain that. There are a lot of things in the Bible that I, I, I would say I don't understand. And that's a good thing, because I would say if I understood all this, then maybe I could have wrote it. But I don't understand it. It tells me that I didn't write it. And that a man didn't just think this up. Because there's a lot I don't understand. But when you say finished, if I said to you, 5 o'clock, what do you think about? Finished, right? Lucky you, right? You know, unless you're working overtime. And if I said to you, uh, you know, what is it? The third Friday in June or June 25th and you're in school, immediately you think finished. Now, if you were really in tune and I said to you, 67th Street in Central Park, what is it? It's the end of the 26.2 miles in New York City Marathon. Finished, right? No one runs after 67th Street in Central Park. You want to know why? Race is finished, right? No one, no one gets to 67th Street and says, okay, next stop, Brooklyn. No, race is done. You've ran your 26.2, it's over. And then obviously if it took you 24 hours, you're not getting any medals. But, but beyond that, you finished the race. When Christ on Calvary said, finished, what does it mean? You know, a lot of people have, have wondered about that. The Bible tells us when He said, finished, He was talking about what it meant to get you forgiven. What it meant to get you to heaven. What would it take to get the sins in your soul paid for in full? And the vocabulary of Calvary comes across straight and clear. And Christ said, finished. If Christ said, finished, what do you have to do to get saved? done. It's done. You know, sometimes we call them, I've seen men, I call them uh, religious gymnastics, you know? Men take words and they're swinging on the trapeze thing, right? And they're, they're telling me what it means in that. Listen, if I told you anything else, you'd call me a liar. Christ said, finish. What do you have to do to get saved? It's already done. Vocabulary of, of Calvary. The vocabulary of Calvary comes across so straightforward and, and it leaves no room for error that when the Lord Jesus Christ died for my sins and He said, it's finished. How come my neighbors and friends are still working to get to heaven if it's finished? And He said finished. And that vocab, right, is so significant because it tells me that when He was led there to Calvary, that He was led like a lamb. He was silent. When He was tried, He didn't open His mouth. So the fact that He chose to open His mouth and to say anything, so significant. And yet He chose to say this at Calvary, finished. And so if you're worried about where your sin is bringing you tonight, realize this, Christ died for your sins so that you would not have to pay a penalty for them. You would not have to die them. And he says, finish. Just talk about the victory here. The victory of Calvary. In Midland Park, um, if you were to go down to the Wharton Dyke section of Midland Park, there's a memorial there for veterans. And uh, I think, if I have this correct, from World War I, World War II, uh, the Korean conflict, or Korean War, and the uh, Vietnam War, I think we had something like 19 individuals die from the one square mile town of Midland Park. Now when you say that those battles were fought, when they read them off and we do it at Memorial Day, you know what they call those men? They call them a lot of accolades. They, they say a lot of positive things about them. But if you were to ask for an apt description of those men, those men are considered casualties. They died in order for the battle to be won. But you know what? It would have been better if they didn't die and we still won the battle. It would have been better if we didn't have to lose 19 men 
in order to still have freedom today, any one of those men, they weren't going overseas, they weren't going to bear arms, they weren't doing it to die. They were willing to die, but they didn't have to for the victory to take place. When you look at Calvary, don't ever forget this. Christ was not a casualty. Christ went there and the victory is in His death. The victory was that He died. He chose to die. He goes there and the victory over sin is that my sin was placed on Him and He died instead of me dying. That's the significance of it. Sometimes we we look at Calvary and we say He died to provide an example. He died to teach us. He died to tell us. No, the significance is this, is that He died and the victory there is seen in this. That, that it wasn't a casualty, that he was victor over sin and over death and over hell. And so we see that when we come time to look at the cross. So when we talk about that, the vocabulary of the cross, we talk about the victory of the cross. When we look at this verse that tells us even the death of the cross, as we look at some of its significance, and we look at some of these words that line up here. When you look at the man who died on the cross, not only do we look at what he said, and he said it was finished, not only do we look at the fact that what happened at Calvary was not a casualty, that he died for a reason, he died in order to save us from our sins, but we look at this as something that was done voluntarily. Sometimes we, uh, you would take a look at that. You would say, um, why? Did he die? You would say the, the, the voluntary act of Christ dying on Calvary. Why did he die for me? Maybe this is your first time uh, to a gospel meeting or your first time looking at the Bible. If I had to ask you tonight, sometimes we ask questions, sometimes we get answers, sometimes we don't. If you have the answer, what you do is don't put your hand up, just put your hand down, right? No. Why did Christ die? Why did he die? You know, the Bible talks about this a lot, and it, it tells me that there was a place called Calvary. It tells me on a Friday afternoon in the year 8033, from the hours of 9 a.m. until 3 p.m., that a man hung on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem. Why? Why? Sometimes we, we, we let that circle in our head for a while, and, and, and we, we think about it, we contemplate it, and you say, why? And there's a, you think, oh, there's, there's got to be a lot of reasons, Dave. There's got to be a lot. But, but when I take a look at it, I'm reminded of this, that God... I was, let, me just, let me preface it by this. There's a lot of ways to show you hate people. I was behind a guy today in a car, and he laid on his horn because the guy in front of him would not move, right? As far as I know, they didn't know each other. They could have been a father and son, but I don't know. And the guy laid on his horn. The guy in the front car got out of his car. At that point, I put my car into reverse, right? You want to get out of that situation? He got out of his car, and the gestures and the words that come out of his mouth, you'd say, hatred was evident. No one, no one wondered. No one was saying, are they exchanging formalities? Are they talking about their desire to be better parents? No. The words and the actions, we knew there was hatred. Hatred is so easy to show. What about love? What about love? You'd say, what are the top three reasons we show love? You say, uh, flowers. Obviously not from a supermarket or Walgreens, but, but better than that. You say, you say, what are the ways we, we, we open a card and we write something? You say, but, but if I said to you tonight, you know, I want to show you how much I love you, and sometimes we look at it and you say, I would die to show you that. You'd say, that's stupid. No one does that. that that's almost... It's, it, it doesn't make sense that if you were to die to show me you love me, and sometimes people look at a verse like this, God loved the world and He gave His Son. And we say, 
How does it make sense that for God to show us that He loved us, that His Son died? It just, you say, uh, that doesn't make, it, it doesn't, I, I don't understand that. I used this example before, but Caleb, my brother, he went to school with a guy, Kyle Carpenter. And they threw a grenade when he was on duty there overseas. They, a grenade come right in the middle of him and two other or three other men. And he threw his body on the grenade. Does that show you love? Yeah, without a doubt. Sometimes we forget that Christ died for us. Christ died for me. Sometimes when we look at it, if you were to say the cause of death, if you were to use the the typical language of the day, and you were to say they did the autopsy, what was the cause of death? Why did he die? The Bible says there was one reason. He died for me. Did he die for you? He died for me. That was the cause of his death. When I look at it, the fact that He willingly went there, the fact that He willingly went to Calvary and did that, you say, does the Bible really say that? Well, the Bible says in one of the most famous verses that God showed love in this way. He gave His Son. If you were to go to another place in Scripture, in Romans 5 and 8, it says this, God displays His love that while we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. And you say, this display of love, right? It's unmatched. And I find this. I find people saying, if I ask you, are you going to heaven tonight? Are your sins forgiven? Do you have peace with God? And you would say, that's a matter, Dave, of achievement. I'm not going to know that until life's over because I haven't done everything yet. You say, I have to do a couple more things. I would disagree with you. And I would disagree with you from the Bible because there was a man who came to the Lord Jesus one time and he asked him, he says, what do I do to get to heaven? What do I do to get to heaven? And the Lord Jesus said to him, love God perfectly. All your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, love Him a hundred out of a hundred. And then he said, the guy who lives next door to you, your neighbor, love him one hundred out of one hundred. You probably would say to me, you don't know my neighbor, right? Higher fences make better neighbors. How many people here have loved God 100 out of 100 and loved men 100 out of 100? Just go ahead, raise your hand. I'll give you five seconds. You say, Dave, it's such, a, it's such an impossibility. Why even say it? Why even say it? Why would, why would the Lord Jesus waste that man's time and give him two rules that were impossible to keep concerning love? Loving God and loving your neighbor. Why would he do that? You know, one man did do it. You know, and when the Lord Jesus Christ said that, he says, if you can do that, you deserve to live forever. One man did it. That was the Lord Jesus Christ, and he died. Why? Because we were never going to do it, and he died for us. And so when I look at Calvary, not only do I see Christ saying those magnificent words at Calvary, he says, it's finished. And so you don't have to get on your knees and walk down anywhere. You don't have to say more prayers, penance, rosaries. You don't have to give more money to a church. In fact, I'm glad if you didn't bring your wallet tonight. It's a dangerous thing to bring wallets to religious events, right? Don't give any more money. Don't give a dime, a nickel. Don't... You know what? The Bible says stop doing it. It's already done. We know that from the cross. It says that He not only died, but He died for us. And it says there that He did it willingly. He did it with willingness. You say He died for me. I don't have to wonder if He wanted to. Because I know this. 
I can't give him a reason to love me. We we often say that God loves me because I, you know I'm I'm fairly young, but I've yet to give him a reason to love me. Maybe you have, and you beat me to it. But I've never met anybody who's given God a reason to love him. Never. And you know what? I would be afraid to give God a reason to love me if I said to God, "Love me because uh, because of." of of, of my prayers. God, love me because of, of, of my, my money. God, love me because of how kind I am. If I ever lose that, I'd lose His love. But He loves me without a reason. He loves me without a cause. He loves me and He just wants me to know that love because He gave His Son to die for me. He wants me to respond to that. And instead, we spend our lives trying to give Him a reason to love us instead of just looking at the reason that God showed us to just show that He loved us when He sent His Son to Calvary. And so when I look at Calvary, I know that there were words spoken there that tell me it's all done. I know that there was a victory there that Christ had to die for my sins or else I have to die for my sins. But it's going to be one or the other. And I thank God every day that 2,000 years ago, the man who hung on the middle cross, he died for my sins. You know, what is there, 60 people in the tent tonight? How many people in Bergen County? A million? You say, if I was the only person who existed, God would have become a man and come into this world and He would have died on a cross for one man. And that would lead me to my last point. Not just the words or the vocabulary of Calvary. Not the victory of Calvary. Not the fact that He did it voluntarily. But the value. The value of Calvary. You know what people tell me all the time? We're having these meetings because we believe that people are born in sins. And that if they don't have a time in their life where they put their trust in Jesus Christ, that they will remain in their sins. And we have these meetings because we know that the Bible says people can be guaranteed in the seat they sit in that they're going to heaven. That's why we have these meetings. That's why I open this Bible. That's why there's no church around here. We're in a tent because we're not really concerned if you continue to go to church. We're concerned that we'll see you in heaven one day. And so I preach this, and I would say this to you. People tell me, oh, Dave, if, if you got a couple more people who would trust Christ tonight, oh, it would make it so valuable. No, it wouldn't. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ died at Calvary almost 2,000 years ago, if no one ever believed in it, if all we ever had was atheists, if there were 7 billion atheists on the world today, and if all there ever was were people who wanted to disprove it, it would still have the same value it has today. The value would not change. You want to know why? Because what took place at Calvary satisfied God. It satisfied God. That's the value. You're looking for satisfaction. Sometimes we find satisfaction in others, right? Sometimes we do that. If my boss is satisfied, I'm satisfied, right? You would say, if, if my wife, girlfriend, is she satisfied, that's it. It's good enough for me, right? You know, we say that. You're, you're, you're looking in other people. Never is that more true than this. If I could tell you tonight that the God of heaven, the one who made heaven and earth, that he not only hung the world on nothing, but he hung on a cross and is satisfied with what took place at Calvary. You know what that means? You could be satisfied in the same thing. That the value of Calvary is not in what we think of it. It's in what God thinks of it. And God looks down at what took place in those six hours on a Friday afternoon at Calvary, and He says this, satisfied. 
God will never be satisfied in me. If I pray from now for the next 30 years, there'll be no satisfaction. If I take my entire inheritance, estate, and everything I have, if I robbed you blind and gave it to God, He would not be satisfied. God was only ever satisfied in one thing, the death of His Son. And so until I'm satisfied in that, I will find no satisfaction in life. Sometimes I I, I don't want to miss the point here tonight. What is being offered to you tonight is simply this. You could know tonight that your sins, and I would ask you to name them. Give me something grotesque. Give me something terrible. Give me something that you don't want to mention to anybody else. And I would tell you this, Christ died for that. Give me any individual tonight that you think is beyond mercy or grace's reach, and I would tell you, Christ died for them tonight. This is a message that encompasses everyone. God loves people in heaven as much as He loves people in hell. And I would tell you tonight that there is a chance that you could be forgiven. You could be guaranteed heaven. You say, Dave, that's impossible. Listen, I'm 100% sure I'm going to heaven tonight. In fact, you know what? I'm 1,000% sure. You say, how in the world? Because it has nothing to do with me and it has everything to do with Jesus Christ. And I ask you tonight, if Jesus Christ, if what he did was 100%, and if God's word is 100%, why wouldn't you be 100% sure? Because it's just depending on what is written, right? Just depending on the Word of God, what it says. And it tells me that at the place called Calvary, Christ died for us. Christ died for me. Christ died instead of me. And the value of that is seen in that God is satisfied. Christ said, finished at Calvary. When He died, He died instead of me. And I tell you tonight, He did it without you ever asking. And if you leave the tent tonight, and this is not something that interests you, it doesn't change what happened. I'll tell you this tonight. Christ died for your sins. I'll point to anybody tonight. Just just be on the other end of my finger. And I'll tell you this. Christ died for your sins. Christ died for your sins. Christ died for your sins. You know what? It doesn't change it if you believe it or not. He still did it. You say, well, why do people go up and why do people go down? Because some people believe it and some people don't. Some people want to get to heaven based upon what they can do and some people want to get to based on heaven on what Christ did. Some people want to work. Some people want to rest. Some people want to do. Some people want to believe it's done. So it all depends on tonight what kind of person you are. Because he has saved others and he would save you. We read that verse tonight. Even the death of the cross. It tells me something there at Calvary in those six hours that nothing else could ever tell me. That Christ died and He said it's all done. I don't have to do anything else. And He did it. He did it voluntarily. No one asked Him to. He died for me without me ever asking. And the value of it is that God is satisfied tonight. God. G-O-D. God. God is satisfied. So the question is, are you satisfied with what Christ did at Calvary? Or are you still looking for something else? You could rest in what He did there when He died for sinners and He died for you. Great to see everyone out uh, on a sort of rainy and uh, or drizzly day. And we're thankful you're here. I'd like to read just a couple portions of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me and 
If not, you can just listen along. But the first reading that I have upon my heart is in the book of Genesis in chapter 3. Genesis in chapter 3. It's interesting what Dave just said. He said God and he said G-O-D. And really what's upon my heart as we open up scripture here is what God said. So let's look at Genesis and chapter 3 and really what God provided. Genesis and chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle or clever than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden. Yea, hath God said. Now let's look at same chapter, stay right here, in chapter 3 and verse 9. The first question we have here is the devil asking a question to man or to human beings. The second one we have is God asking a question to human beings. Look at verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now let's stay in the same book of Genesis. That's the first book of our Bibles. Let's just move forward a few chapters to chapter 22. Here's a question from a man to a man. Genesis in chapter 22. And verse 7. Let's read verse 1 and 2 just for context if you haven't heard this story before. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Now let's look at verse 7. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham responds, as you see in verse 8, he says, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. Now the last reading is in our New Testament. We go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the book of John in chapter 1. John's Gospel in chapter 1. John's Gospel, chapter 1, and verse 29. Here's not a question, but here's a statement from a man about God, or about Christ. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I'm thankful that that proclamation was made that he taketh away the sin of the world. 
It wasn't a proclamation that he takes away the sin of Brother Dave. Or he takes away the sin of that particular area or city or town that they were in that day. John is saying, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. We have right behind us here a verse that I love ever so dearly. And quite frankly, if we spent from Sunday right through next Sunday preaching the gospel, and all we preached, I say that carefully, but all we spoke about was this particular verse, we couldn't do it enough uh, good. Uh, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And here John is pointing man to the Lamb. And this verse points you and I to the Lamb. That's Christ. The verse John chapter 3 points men to God. If you look at the first words you see there, you see for God. And I love it. It doesn't say uh, for a particular individual or for John or for for James. No, it just says for God. And God, friend, is the one that you and I are held accountable to. You're not accountable to me or a church, but you're accountable to the God of heaven. And God said, if we look at for God, we look at what God said, and God says there's none that doeth good. No, not one. And God tells us of our, of our throats as being open sepulchers. That's found in the book of Romans. Our feet quick to shed blood. The, the, there's no way of peace. That's what God says about human beings. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And you and I are accountable to God. That's why when we speak in the gospel, you say, well, Matt, sometimes you get excited or Dave gets excited. It's because although we've sinned, although we've fallen short, although, and you'll see my hand holding down, there's a fan here, but although there's a huge gap between God and man, the beauty is this, that Christ, the mediator between God and man, He bridged that gap. And He came to die for sinners. And he came to spend and spill his blood at the cross of Calvary. And John here is foretelling Christ's work. And he's saying, behold the Lamb of God. He's taking attention off himself. And I trust that tonight, attention is not upon Matt. That's my name if you don't know who I am. It's not upon me. Or upon Dave when he's speaking. But your attention uh, with a heart of faith is upon the man of Calvary. That's Christ. And this verse points men to God. But it also points men to their need. Notice the word we see here. Uh, that they're perishing, that they should not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, Matt, why would you tell me that? Because, Matt, listen, carefully, men are perishing. And they're dying in their sins. The Bible says that we're condemned already because of our sins. The Bible says that we're dead in trespasses because of our sins. John chapter 3 tells us that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil and we are perishing. That's why we need a Savior. That is the man of Calvary. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And with God's help, I'm going to touch that in this particular uh, portion that I have about different questions that are asked in Scripture. But notice there's a gift here that God gives His Son. He says, He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. If you were tracking along just recently... uh, on Yahoo. You say, Matt, you mentioned Yahoo a couple nights. It's okay. I read the news sometimes and uh, they say Google never lies or Yahoo never lies. But this is a real story uh, of a girl in California just this past weekend at 19 years old. I wrote down these numbers because uh, they say she's the luckiest girl uh, in the world. Oh, there's no such thing. So, But this is what happened to her. She walked into a uh, particular station or store and she bought a, a ticket, uh, a raffle uh, that you gamble on and they're scratch tickets, right? And that one ticket, she made $655,000 in one ticket. 
never bought a ticket in her life. She walked in and she bought this ticket. Uh, she went down the street and she decided, well, maybe I should buy another one. <laughs> she found out she won. She went down the street, bought another one a couple days later, and I wrote these numbers down. And she won $555,000 and $555. Luckiest girl alive, that's what they say. Three days later, she went down to the gas station. She said, uh, I'll spend $5 of whatever I just earned. Uh, and she spent $5 and she won $100,000. You say, well, how in the world? You know what she said? I saw these numbers and I almost cried. She felt special. She had a gift. She didn't deserve that. She didn't earn that. You know the gift that surpasses all of that? The gift that surpasses any gift that you could ever have. If we walked around and passed out Bugatti Veyrons or $2.5 million and they go 260 miles an hour and people in the Middle East have these cars. If we pass all these cars out to everyone, they wouldn't match a lick, friend, to what the gift that God has to do and give to you and I. The gift of His only Son. The floodgates, the, 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 the doors of heaven opened. And God said, here's my son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the sky opened and announced Christ to the world. That's for you. That's the gift that God is offering. You say, well, Matt, how do I get that gift? I've had people tell me that when you're trying to reach them in the gospel, you're just talking about God and everything. I said, Matt, you know what? I would love to be saved, but how? You know, if you turned with me to John and chapter 14, you would see two verses that say this. Thomas comes to Christ. John chapter 14, verse 5 and 6. And Thomas says to the Lord Jesus Christ, right after he's heard all about heaven. And Thomas says, Lord, how do we know the way? It's a beautiful question. I wish every heart and soul that's found in this tent tent meeting tonight would ask that question. How can we know the way? Because the answer is very simple. And Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that's the answer he gives them. And friend, today, if you're ever going to know a place in heaven, it's through Christ, God's Son. He died upon a cross, He was buried, and He rose again the third day. The gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is grace. Christ is mercy. Christ is kindness. But all above all that, Christ is love. And He showed His love. He demonstrated love uh, at the place called Calvary. Now, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. I asked the question as I opened the gospel here in Genesis in chapter 3. Did, God, uh, did, did Christ die for you? Did He? You say, well, Matt, that's what the Word of God says. But have you ever taken that as your own personal gift? The gospel in its capacity is universal. It goes out to the whole entire world. That's what we see here. God's love the world. But it's personal in its application. One needs to take of that free gift. And that's what is being extended here tonight. Let's just look here. Time will be passing very quickly. But I, 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 I love the question found in... Uh, it's a really sad question, frankly. But it's a, it's a soul-searching question. Look at uh, Genesis in chapter 3 and verse 1. Here's a question that the devil started asking there. And he's been asking for hundreds of years and thousands of years. Notice what he says. He says this. And he said unto the woman... Notice he's a serpent that's clever. Friend, listen, the enemy knows every which angle to, to wrap his mind around you and to clever and to be clever with you and to trick you and to ask you different questions. But this is what he's asked mankind. Yea, hath God said. Hath God said. If you're a parent here today, uh, you can relate. I have three children. Uh, Harrison, 12, Hannah, 6, and Hudson, who's 4. I can't tell you uh, 
<laughs> on my hands and my feet. I can't tell you the number of times I have heard my children come downstairs and say, did mom really say that I have to go to bed at 8? That's school nights. So we're kind of 8, they wake up at 5.30 and 8 o'clock's our time. Did mom really say, and I have to say, and sometimes without, with, with regret because they might have taken a nap and I think, ah, they can stay awake till 9. But I'm honoring my wife, so I say, Harrison, mom said 8. That's it. Did God really say? Did God really say, uh, Adam and Eve, did God really say you can't touch it? I could take you to the streets of Chicago and you meet individuals and, 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 and they say, you know what, Matt? I never knew that I couldn't touch it, but I touched sin and it ruined my life and it shattered relationships. And here I am as a broken individual and I'm on the streets of Chicago because I did one touch and it shattered my life. Did God really say? Did God really say that you can't commit adultery? Yes, He did. Did God really say, no, have, have no other gods before me? Yes, He did. Did God say, no graven images? Yes, He did. Did God say, no fornication? Yes, He did. Did God say, no sin? Yes, He did. And the devil is asking them here, did God really say? I can tell you what God did say. God said, for God to love the world, that He gave His only Son. God said it. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God said it. God said in the Word of God that Christ died for the ungodly. God said it. And He's told you and I that. God says, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. God said it. God said, Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. God said it. It's almost like a rebuttal, right? You tell them, yeah, I'll tell you what God said. This is what he said. And God says, him that cometh into me, I will no wise cast out. And friend, listen, I'll tell you today. If you came to the God of heaven just the way you are, just like that, nothing showy, no polish, no fancy suit, not cleaned up. I had a guy tell me once, uh, uh, I believe he's, uh, sadly, but he said these words. He said, you know what, uh, you know, before I'm going to share the gospel with you, the word of God, like, go clean up. I thought, good night. You know what God says? Come to me just the way you are. Just the way you are. You know how the prodigal came to the father? If you looked at the story found in scripture, I'll take it up one night. It's my favorite story, friend, because when I came to Christ, I was a filthy wretch. And I was dirty. Physically and spiritually. I was a train wreck of a life. I had no hope. As a matter of fact, the night that I trusted Christ, I said, God, if you can't save me, you're going to have to send me to hell because I deserve it. I'm filthy. And that's it. You saved me. It's over. That prodigal's walking, and I picture the father. The prodigal's gone on, and he's lived his sight, his life in absolute rubbish and sin. And the father's been waiting, and he's watching. If you look at the story of the prodigal son, and he watches that boy, as it were, come right over the horizon. And the father's watching. The boy's in repentance. He's filled with the muck of sin, and he stinks. He's nothing to look at. It says that the father runs, and he embraces the son, and he kisses him on his neck. That's what God wants to do. He wants to take you and call you His. Take you right out of the family of sin and bring you right into the family of God. Out of the puddle of sin and the muck of sin and sit right at the king's table and enjoy heaven for eternity. That's because of Christ. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The first question, the devil to man. What does he say? Um, Sorry, here it is. In Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say? Now let's look here because time is clicking. I'm watching and I'm going to be prompt. Look at Genesis in chapter 3 and verse 9. 
God calls unto Adam and says unto Adam, Where art thou? You're probably wondering, what just happened in this particular mix? What has happened is God has created a garden and God has created absolute beauty. God has full communion with Adam and Eve. God is in the garden and there's, and there's full harmony there. It's absolute perfection. And God tells them, you can't touch one thing. And Adam and Eve go and they touch of this forbidden thing. This tree. And they sin. And for the first time after they sin, they're embarrassed in their sin. And it says that they clothe themselves. And I, the, the fan keeps blowing. But let me read verse 7. And the eyes of them after they had sinned, both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they're trying to cover their sin. And it says that God comes into the cool of the evening. And he's walking. He says, Adam, where art thou? It's not that God didn't know where Adam was. God's uh, pushing, as it were, on his conscience. And he's saying, listen, Adam, I gave you the world at your fingertips. The dominion of all the animals and, and control of the entire garden in the world. And you went and you sinned. And you have to pay for sin. And that's where we see the first sacrifice. There's blood that's shed because of their sins. And for the first time, the stench of sin rises to the throne of heaven here in the garden. And they are kicked out. I ask you today, where are you? I know God doesn't speak like He spoke here. He actually came in and He, and he spoke. But reverently speaking and carefully speaking, if God asks the question, He searched your heart, friend, you don't have to answer to me out loud, but God said, where are you? Do you have peace with me? Do you have a relationship with my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Has there ever been a time in your life when you came to trust in my Son? And now you go through life knowing that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all our sins. And all your sins are wiped away as far as the east is from the west. Has there been a time in your life when you were saved? When you are born again? I didn't ask, has there been a time in your life when you attended a church? God doesn't care if you attended a church. He cares if you trust His Son. God gave everything for mankind. And He wants you to take of that free gift. He said, well Matt, you mentioned sin. They were embarrassed because of their sin. I ask you, does sin embarrass you? You know, there were sins uh, as a young boy that I would have blushed at. And I have to confess, as you grow older, you become callous to sin. And that blushing is no longer there. That's what sin's done. I could take you to a little boy. Uh, he's mine. So, uh, Hudson, he's four. On top of our stairs, we have a, a, a bubble gum machine that's, that's pretty big. Uh, it's pretty high. It's actually taller than him. And we tell Hudson, don't touch bubble gum. They're little balls. Don't touch these. And without, I mean, it can take a day, and then he puts his hands all over it. But we hear it downstairs, and we hear the rattle. And I know what he's doing, and I wait for it. And uh, we'll usually call Hudson down after about a minute. And he comes down and his cheeks look like chipmunks. And there's red everywhere and he's slobbered because he's tried to put it all in so we don't catch him. And he's sitting there and I said, Hudson, did you touch the gumball machine? And he'll say, Hannah did it. Oh, he, Hannah didn't do anything, actually. He did it. He's covered in his sin. It's, it's just dripping down. That's four years old. We are born in sin. You don't have to look very far to see sin in people's lives. Don't look at it very far. Look right in the mirror. You see sin point right back at you. Right? We have sinned. And God says here, where art thou? Now let's run and jump into Genesis in chapter 22. One of my favorite stories found in Scripture. But notice these words as Isaac asked his father Abraham in verse 7. I'm just reading from Scripture here. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? 
Here they have, they have, they have walked this journey to this mountain. And God has told Abraham, Abraham, he's testing Abraham. And he says, Abraham, you're going to take your son Isaac, whom you love. Friend, I'll tell you, God took a son whom he loved. And he brought him to an altar at Calvary. They went both of them together. You can study Genesis in chapter 2. There's a couple times it says Abraham and Isaac walked both of them together. I love that thought. God and the son, and they're going to Calvary. Abraham says to his father, he's seen sacrifices. He says, Father, listen. The wood, the fire, there's, we have everything, but, but what are we sacrificing? What is it? I'm confused. I love Abraham's answer because here's the answer Abraham says. God, my son, he says, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. I can't imagine for a second, if you're a parent here tonight, I can't imagine for a second the heartache that Abraham had. As he's watching and he takes Isaac, his son, and he lays him on an altar. The thoughts that are going through his mind, you don't read about it in scripture. But I can't imagine. Why, Lord? How is this going to pan out? He says, God will provide himself a lamb. I could take you to a little hospital room in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, at Children's Hospital. And I could show you, uh, she's okay now. But my daughter Hannah, at the age of one years old, she laid on that bed and she was plugged up with wires from head to toe. And she had pneumonia. She had 400 mLs in her lungs. She was drowning internally and she was dying. And I'll never forget standing there and all that. She was in the NICU for nine days. You talk about God absolutely rocking your world and changing your life. From that point on, my life has been different. And I watched that little girl and all that went through my mind was, Lord, if I could just take her place, that's it. I would go there and I'd take her off and give her life. You take my life. I've had 30 years. Go right ahead. But I couldn't. You know what God did for you and I? Friend, listen. You and I deserve to be on the cross. You and I deserve to pay for our sins. And God says, not you, but my son's going to pay for them. A sinful sacrifice couldn't have paid for sin. A sinless sacrifice had to pay for sin. We are not redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And He died upon a cross to set you free as your substitute. That's the thought here. He died so that you wouldn't have to die. That's the thought. And no wonder John John is running through the streets as it were and he's pointing to Christ and he's saying, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He didn't say that takes away part of the sin. We'd be in a heap of trouble. Because I keep sinning. And as far as I'm concerned, through time I will live, there will be sin in my life. I'm a human being. There's weakness. He took away all the sin. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And Christ's friend went upon a rugged cross and he died for sinners. Isaiah says he's wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. That's what he did for you and for me. And the person that comes to trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says he will be born again. He'll have true life. He'll not be in hell beneath. He'll be in heaven above. You know, I could... um, I'm telling you this story just to share really the grace of God. But uh, I told you the other night, I had a grandfather named Pepe Landry. And um, he was a violent drunkard. And he died that way. I never got to know him. We weren't invited to his house. It was always violence. So we stayed away. Now my grandfather Hebert on my father's side was Pepe Hebert. And same thing with him. He was a professional boxer in the Navy. And he drank himself to death. But I'll never forget this. 
that for three years before he died, he was bedridden because he had cancer. From the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, he was dying of cancer. And my father, who didn't have a relationship with him because my grandfather would have been very abusive in their home, my father had the opportunity because of what God did in his life by absolutely bringing that man to bare bottom. He couldn't even stand up. He couldn't fight anymore because he's dying. So God wants you right at rock bottom. And my dad was able to bring the gospel and he shared truths found in the word of God. One truth was this that he shared. I share it with you tonight. John chapter 1 and verse 29. He said, Dad, listen. You're going into a place of the unknown. There's a day you're going to leave the cot and you're going to enter heaven above or hell beneath. You've never been there. You don't know what's on the other side. The Bible tells us about two places. And he said, Dad, I want to show you one verse. John chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And you know what my grandfather said to my father after not having a relationship with him for his life? He said this, Junior, listen, Christ died for me and I'll see you on the other side. And he died. Just like that. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. The fact that God even allows us to share a story like that is the grace of God. And God saved that wretched man before he went off into eternity. God can save you tonight. Don't wait, friend, until you're on some deathbed. The Bible says, boast not about tomorrow, for we know not what a day will bring forth. That means don't brag about tomorrow because we don't know if Thursday will ever arrive. And if you went out into eternity tonight, I ask you, where are you going? That's my question to you. And the statement, I'll echo John's words. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And He can be yours tonight. That's Christ. <laughs>